All right. I'm Nick Verity. Welcome to the Operations Mastery Podcast. I'm here with Christina Vogel. She's the COO of a massive agency called Modus that does a ton of different creative services, but they're absolutely huge. They're in Manila, New York, and I think one other location. And we're excited to have her on. Thank you. Right. I'm Christina Vogel and um, I do. I, I'm the Chief Operating Officer for Modus Agency. We are um, headquartered in New York. We have employees throughout 18 states and we're Philippines and uh, Latin America. We do. We offer a lot of creative services, but also engineering and QA. Uh, so we offer core solutions along the full digital product lifecycle from user research and digital experience, product strategy, but also some uh, pretty hardcore engineering um, analytics work. And uh, we've helped many clients through digital transformations. And we're thinking a lot about AI right now. Amazing. And um, how big is the agency right now? And what, what type of clients do you service? We're approximately 100 people. Um, we have nurtured a freelance staff uh, that will allow us to scale um, if we need to by another third. But uh, we, we service the financial services, professional services, um, other B2B, and health and wellness. And in that includes pharmaceuticals. And you mentioned you have freelance staff. Can you walk me through the operations of managing all, all these people in different departments? Because it sounds like you do a lot of technical work. I'm sure you have tons of engineers on staff. Do you outsource some of that? Like, How, how does that work? We've been in business for about 22 years. And we very quickly um, tried to establish operations overseas to balance cost. Mm -hmm. And we did that with the idea of not really wanting to have non-employees under our roof. And we wanted to build a, a culture um, and a way of working. And we felt that we could only do that, um, you know, uh, through an employee base and, um, and so as we've grown, we've increased and really leveraged the freelance piece um, for that accordion nature. Did that answer your question? It did. Yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> um, absolutely. And I think that, how, I mean, how do you successfully manage overseas engineers? Like, is there any keys there? Because obviously there's language yeah. barrier time, a lot of other roadblocks yeah. there. We've experimented, you know, in a few areas, um, China, Russia, India, and the Philippines. And um, and we wanted to be in Latin America uh, to see if we couldn't get on the same time zone. And that has been transformational for us. Wow. So we've been able to balance costs, but talk on the same time zone. And the overlap allows us to move just so much faster than we ever could when doing business in India and uh, anywhere, you know, with greater than 12 hours between us. That's not to say we haven't worked well, right? but it requires a lot more. It requires strong communication and good ticketing systems and mm. good um, information handoff protocols, you know? And um, mm. is it just engineers there in Latin America or? multiple different employees. We started, with, we started with engineers. And over time, as we 
came to know the market or maybe the market changed, but we um, have built um, a, a great UX group down there. So mm. small, but powerful um, group of uh, designers. Amazing. Um, so I want to shift gears overall to operations. What are some of your, like your core processes and systems you have in place that you think have allowed you to scale to a hundred employees, you know, across the world and all these client types? The most important thing in professional services is not so unlike other businesses, but you have to know, um, you have to have expense control and revenue control and and um for other businesses that have widgets and things they have inventory control and mm -hmm. we have talent and uh, in in the agency world in the consultancy world we have talent and and their utilization um and, and having a handle over your sales and the connection from your sales pipeline to the servicing end is um vital to dealing with changes from your clients, you know, a contract, you know, let's say a client has had some budgetary restrictions and they need to make a big change with you. You, you need to have the utilization and revenue connections and the time tracking really under control. Um, so we've had to build integrations to make that possible because the mm. tooling out there for so many years was not up to, not up to it you know, connecting QuickBooks and, um, and, and now we use HubSpot in the past mm -hmm. we use Pipedrive and we go from there into, um, resource management. It's a product of Smartsheets. Don't love it, but we've built some integrations around it. And, and, and from there, you know, it's, it's the, the time tracking. And so then all the due diligence around trying to make sure that that's reasonable accurate yeah. from there you can do a lot to make sure your business is healthy predictive work and predict your utilization or predict your revenue or predict your next quarter next month and and then the professional services uh we're on a delayed you know a delayed reaction to the to the economy um but you know we have to be very cautious when we're at the whim of our clients' difficulties or successes, <laughs> you know, yeah, when we get to scale, mm. I, I um I don't want that to skim over people's heads. I think in the professional service business, your biggest cost is your salaries. Yes, um, whether it's ten ninety nines or or salaries, and um, you can't begin to build and scale if you aren't even tracking integrating processes for them first so you really understand what am i spending to service x amount of customers we track like our revenue per employee in different metrics that if we didn't like we wouldn't be able to tie profit back to them and these things but not only that more important things like uh what is an employee efficient like an efficient employee look like how much work are they throughputting instead mm -hmm. of like what traditionally might be easy to measure in a factory of how many products are get, going out the door in a day. Um, I'll share something with you. Yeah, and go ahead. That we have really kind of stopped ourselves along the way from 
putting those heavy measurements against the employee itself. Mm, I like so that. the time, the tracking of their time is so vital and their performance is obviously discussed and their, their output is obvious, you know, um, yeah. or not at, so we will take like utilization rates, um, and salary load, for example, and put these all kind of at the highest level. And when we start to see issues there, then we dig down. Because we don't want to freak people out. Yeah. So and I've, I've seen folks get, you know, make, make, make choices that aren't good for the organization when they're worried about their utilization or worried mm. when a client pulls out or, or what are they going to do when we get a new contract? Where is it? You know, who's going to do that work? There's panic in every direction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You don't That's want a fantastic point. That's mm -hmm. a fantastic point. They don't yeah. produce when they're worried like that. That's so true. It, it's interesting because you're coming from the perspective of the COO who has to think about finance, sales, keeping people happy, and like making them all dance together is the magic of a good COO. So I, I that's really valuable information. We let our accounts balance themselves, you know. So if you've got one project that didn't do well and another that did. Let's look at the health of the whole client situation, or let's look at the health of the whole company and try to manage those issues that way so that uh, it's not just about one project. Yeah. Um, another thing you hinted on was integrations and in technology. And I know for me and my business, I take ownership over helping my employee base be as productive as possible by automating some of their work, making things easier for them. How do you look at technology and what do you, can you uh, dive deeper into the integrations that you've built internally and what that's allowed you to do? Sure. Well, I described some of, some of those uh, that we had done to, to string together those products um, from finance to sales and utilization. And, and that was all done um, really with just API work. And so in our client, we also have what I would say are automated um, workflows that we use. Uh, let me pause for a second. Let me think. So on our client accounts, on our client accounts, every engagement is slightly, well, is can be very different. But we may, let's say, do a headless CMS project for one client um, in one industry and a headless CMS project in another industry. What um, Modus is really great at is kind of making sure that we're taking our, our build and our security pipelines and other things that are repeatable and using them from client to client um, with the adaptations mm -hmm. that maybe they need for their unique tool sets. And so we try to create uh, some, uh, so so in that universe, um, we go very deep with DevOps and there's a lot of automation that's needed there. And on our engineering accounts, the more automation and the more task automation there is on the deployments, and so forth, the more that they are freed up to work. 
Mm-hmm. And so there's like an aggressive ongoing effort mm-hmm. there to continually sort of wipe, you know, knock out repetitive work. Um, and uh, we have folks that focus on DevOps. We think that's super important. And uh, and then even in the design world where we've been really promoting design ops and using tooling like Figma to create the level of standardization uh, that's needed um, to deploy a brand. Yeah. And that used to be really messy stuff. Designers used to really hate, uh, I mean, engineers would really hate getting all those PSDs and things. And, you know, so there are, I don't have to do that anymore. We can, there's so many great products coming out to like manage design assets and everything. So these tools are essential. Totally. We use, we use Figma as well. And I always say with like um, any agency, uh, eventually after you service enough clients, you realize that some of it is replicatable. Obviously everything is custom, but it's not, it is not easy to replicate and come up with like templates and standards and things you can copy paste code you can use, reuse, but that stuff, if documented well, can really accelerate projects. So yeah. I like that you take that seriously. Well, you nailed it, which is that um, before we can automate, we have to document the thing. And somebody yeah. else has to be able to do it. You know? And, <laughs> and then we can automate it. I like to I like to um, really strive for simplicity there as well. Mm. Yeah. Patients hold up. The more we can try to keep things simple. When there's a big bottleneck or problem, how do you approach those situations? Like, do you have a way, a unique way of approaching big problems or or anything like that? Yeah. I think that my engineering background weighs heavily into how I approach problem, you know, diagnosing a problem and trying to understand what's happening. And, um, and so <clears throat> I definitely bring that into play when trying to say, extract a system from something, some bespoke thing that's going on in the agency. Yeah. And so knowing knowing what the goal is, setting that goal up front, having some clear, description around what does success look like so that you have something to keep coming back to. I find that when people who are into the process, like sometimes get too into it, you know, (laughs) and we have too many steps. So we have to, I like to keep that in mind and then get it all down, understand what's happening and then really find the commonalities, you know, when you're, programming, you will abstract mm-hmm. a level. And so when you look at the problem and you say, well, what's really the same here? And can we simplify that mm-hmm. to one path to resolution? Mm-hmm. And um, so, and then testing it. Let's test this. Can you, can you follow these steps for me? Uh, yes. Sometimes letting it play out for a little while as well, being willing to, adjust 
Yeah, we're the same way. We'll launch something quicker than it's probably ready for, knowing that everything takes iteration. You know, when we try to solve a new problem with a system or something. Yeah. You come from a technical background and you've made your way up to COO of a very large company. How did you do that? And then I mainly ask that because some of the things you mentioned are very, very advanced and usually at the CEO level and things like that, as far as like task automation and things beyond development, like understanding people well, um, finance, all of that stuff. Like, how did you learn all of this to get yourself in a position to be a good COO? Hmm. Thank you. Well, I have maybe I have a bit of a social science background combined with an engineering, uh, some pretty deep engineering expertise that I built up on top of my degreed work. Mm -hmm. And so I, I started with GIS and we were solving social problems with technology, you know, and uh, at the university that I went to, um, I was in the geography department and we were looking for systems within the human science. And so I think I just brought that with me. Yeah. You know? And then I, I really went deep on the database engineering aspect, DBA work, analytical work, what we might call maybe the data scientists today, because I've done deep statistical work mm -hmm. as well, and architecture. And when you are doing um, database and data architecture, even in the abstract world of um, non-discrete data, it's, mm -hmm. it's uh, you have to figure out what business problems are you trying to solve? Mm -hmm. How are you going to solve it? What are the steps? And, um, and, and data in particular, um, when you're, when you're working with data, you become, you have to be a business analyst. So that business analyst part, um, maybe I, you know, really pushed on because of some of the social science training and, but I have had also when I landed at this company, which was originally bootstrap. Um, and we've had a few, we've evolved a few times. We were bootstrap and then we were bootsoft and then Modus mm. and we've um, merged, we were an engineering firm that merged with a design company. It took us some time mm. to figure things out. And I've had the pleasure, I've had the, I mean, I, this is unusual in my business, but I've stayed at this company for a long time because the people are so creative and I, I kept getting to reinvent myself. Mm -hmm. And they gave me the room uh, to, to, to do that. And, um, and so I tried on a lot of different areas of the business and, um, you know, built up uh, a QA practice and built up uh, a data warehousing practice and done different things over the course of that time while servicing my clients on my, the data projects. And, and then as I started to throw my arms further around operations, I managed people who had HR expertise and mm -hmm. the closeness of those relationships <clears throat> and uh, the creativity um, and the desire by our firm to be people first and like mm -hmm. allowed us to 
well, I think it allowed me to grow and great, grateful for, for that. I, it's like a, a positive story for, for sticking around at, at one place. Mm, love it. Nobody in tech does. I don't know. Yeah, no one does. <laughs> Super valuable now. I think that you know, after the, you've been through the tech booms and the bursts and everything. I think that's one thing that's really valuable now is people would stick around somewhere along. And I'm sure the company's benefited from that as well. And so um, amazing. Yeah, I think like I always like looking back and it's it's the people. I think you coming from like behavioral science and things like that. Taught, those are some of the hardest problems to solve, like societal problems. And right. so, right. That, yeah, like that plus, uh, you know, the technical mindset, you know, the if then type thinking yeah. and stuff like that, I think mm -hmm. is a pretty magical combo. Um, and then of course, like you can't displace just time and experience and working with other learning from others too. So this is a really great answer. Do you have anything else you want to share with the audience that might be helpful in their businesses or their operations? Yeah. And the early stages of growing, I think that, uh, it's, it's important to reach outside of the organization for some of the things that are need to really be done right. Maybe it's a fractional CFO. We didn't get one of those till much later on. Everybody needs different things. Every firm needs different things. Every business needs different things. But uh, if you're just getting started, you should have a labor attorney. You know, have maybe not on retainer, but a relationship. Or we like we have liked all these years having a PEO. That was helpful because mm. we have agreed as a firm that under a certain size, we can have dedicated HR and above a certain, I mean, above a certain size, we can have dedicated HR and below a certain size, we can't. And the PEO is always there mm. to kind of help us um, uh, through HR issues. Yeah. Compliance is becoming such a huge thing. And mm -hmm. so like, let's not fight it. And you know, let, let's hope for some compliance around AI and make sure you have those systems in place too. So, because when it's time to grow, you want to pass those security um, tests by your clients, you know, and you want to, yeah. you want to um, meet um, New York City standards for pay equity or mm. um, most recently New York City's mandating you know that every freelancer have a contract well of course but you know when you're growing fast maybe those contracts age out right so you need this stuff and so if you can put a system in place and you can outsource that without it costing too much take care take care of the business i completely agree i think um i'm a big believer that especially as you get high up in salary and vps directors cxos they shouldn't be spending time on compliance. Not that that isn't important, but that like you should outsource it to like a PEO firm or something like that once you're of the right size so that you're not bogged down in this as like critical parts of your day, yeah. essentially. I, um, I know somebody that I went to school with who's doing fractional operations work for, for mm. smaller businesses. And I thought, that's so smart, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, some of these folks that are trying to grow a business, um, um, you know, 
if you could get fractional, sometimes that's all you need, right? Is a li just a yeah. little help. I love, I like the the emergence of these fractional positions. Yeah, it's been huge. We've noticed it immensely recently. Quick question: Now that you brought it up, AI. Yeah. Um. At first, I thought it just is not practical enough to have real use cases at a lot of companies. But the more I use it, the more I've ruined myself wrong. How have you guys used it internally to make your your company run better? But also, how are you positioning it with clients and building it into their stuff? And what are they asking for? And what's your pulse on, on all of that? Sure. This is, I think, another turning moment for us. And I'm, I'm personally excited. I think there could be a big letdown, you know, where it's like yeah. not fabulous. Um, but what are we doing? Well, it's complex. And because it's systemic, you know, if it, it's really touching everything that we have been educating. I think we've been really spending the past year educating with a few people that have really gone deep, um, have already completed a couple of client projects and are doing R&D. Mm -hmm. We have at Modus uh, well, quarterly makeathons, and it's like a four-hour period where we play, and we've used those moments to get people up to speed on what is generative AI mm -hmm. um, and all the aspects of that. And that feels so important to me. And I have seen that even with this ongoing education, people are, some people are shut down, others are receiving and others are confused. And it's just, it's just like a tough mix. Um, so the ongoing educational piece is huge. And we, as I said, have uh, done a couple of R and D projects and um, and now we want the other thing was getting on the same page about how to talk about AI with our clients. Yeah, that was important. And uh, we, you know, we believe that it's going to be super helpful, and that the more that we can use AI, generative mm -hmm. AI for strategic work, and then help us also be more productive and eliminate repetitive work. This is great stuff. There's great going to be stuff. so many amazing things that are going to come out from image analysis. And I just, I can't wait to see what we're going to learn in the next five years. But for Modus, we just want to help our clients find those opportunities and in innovation as well. Some mm -hmm. clients that are heavily regulated can't go anywhere near generative AI or NEII. And um, others are all in. And so we want to uh, help our heavy compliance clients mm. find those opportunities to um, experiment and try some things on. And so we're looking at analytics, some uh, chatbots, and um, and language model customizations. Totally. Is there anything your team does? Like, do your engineers use AI to help write code and things like that? Like, have you? Have you seen use cases from your employees yet? So totally. Yeah. 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 Um, someone told me, well, it was 
and the firm that they had read a study that said that uh, Copilot and these tools that are useful to help our, you know, help engineers, that they give a real productivity boost to folks that are junior, mm. not so much to the senior team, but um, yeah, it's happening. We have to be very careful about uh, client confidentiality. So even today oh. in the meeting, we repeated again, like, hey, here's our official usage policy and let's be careful. Um, we're already governed by confidentiality clauses in all of our agreements with all of our clients and AI files quite neatly in that. So mm. we want to keep experimenting without exposing. Yeah, totally. Um, well, this has been a super, I know we're over time. This has been a super valuable interview and I greatly appreciate you sharing your knowledge with us. Nick, you're great. I love that you care about this stuff and I'd love to talk again sometime. Of course, of course.